was uh, King Abdulaziz, a professor of study. Khalid bin Abdullah. Khalid bin Abdullah, sorry. Uh, I'm sure that happens a lot. <laughs> yeah. Uh, for the study of, of the contemporary Arab world. And uh, Professor Clive Holes is really the consummate Arabist. And he has, um, before I talk a little bit about the latest research in which he's going to discuss with us today, he's someone uh, literally, as the French say, incontournable. You can't avoid uh, Clive Holes when you are dealing with the uh, uh, Arabic linguistics, so much so that his work in English is actually translated into Arabic. Um, and he has, for example, an important seminal, seminal work that uh, now it's in second edition, Modern Arabic Structures, Functions and Varieties, that tries to explain what is this thing we call modern Arabic as differentiated from classical Arabic. Uh, 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 and he goes into, into uh, d discussing that. But he has turned his mind, and I think it's for a long time also, into working with dialects, not only in terms of actually uh, locating um, um, popular culture within, <coughs> within its context in such books as poetry and politics in contemporary Bedouin society, for example, or the Nabati poetry of the United Arab Emirates. But he himself spends considerable amount of time and energy trying to translate this kind of work. Just one word about the, 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 the dialectal poetry in Arabic is that is, it's as diverse as the dialects uh, of the Arab world. Uh, which are themselves diverse within even each country. But unfortunately, it is a body of, of, of literature that remains almost its entirety untranslated. Um, so today we really have a privileged moment. We're going to see not only the translator at work, but actually bringing to us this kind of uh, art that we don't normally hear about. So, thank, thank you very much, Mohammed um, Saleh. Um, well, well, I'm sorry, I um, don't have such a beautifully prepared presentation as the one we've just heard. I'm more or less flying by the seat of my pants here. I, I kind of more or less accepted to do this only about a week ago, and I, I've been um, sort of tied up with term, etc. Um, so, um, and if it's not polished, um, that's what it's going to. It, it is what it is. What I, what I'd like to do is to talk a little bit about the politics of translation uh, as they apply to Arabic. Um, which is probably something that you, not many people in the audience will know about. But just to kind of situate what I do in the intellectual tradition of Arabic, that's number one. Having done that, I want to look at a bit of the kind of thing I do, and I've, I, I've brought with me, or we've got a, a YouTube um, video of a performance. This is very much performance poetry I'm going to be talking about today. Unfortunately, we don't have loudspeakers, so either I'm, I'm going to have to... I can read the stuff like the guy actually read it, <laughs> or we can possibly listen to the, the sound that comes out of the, the, um, the laptop. I don't know. And then what I'd like to do, ha so you've seen what it looks like, what, how this works, um, to actually take you through a little bit of the kinds of translation issues which are presented by this material, and why we'd want to translate it at all, and given that we do, what kind of problems you know, confront us. So first of all, a little bit of politics, if you like. Um, I mean, what's translated from Arabic into English? I mean, would anybody like to hazard a guess at the most translated piece of work in Arabic? Have a guess. No, when I say the most, I mean, how many different versions are, have... I mean, that would probably be number two. The Quran. Yeah. 
I mean, at the last count, I think there are 47 different English translations of it, and it's been translated into something, but it's probably all the world's languages now, because there are people who spend their lives doing it. Um, and that's kind of what people tend to think of, or some people think of, when they, we think about anything written in Arabic, the Quran. Mm. Um, it's sui generis, like the Bible, and the, the, fi- the figures for translation outstrip all others. So what people seem to be interested in reading in English is the Quran. I mean... The, the Arabic literature. Second is the one that Mohammed Saleh just mentioned, which owes its popularity into the West to actually to a French translation done at the end of the 18th century by a guy called Gallon. Nobody had much heard of it actually up to that point, certainly in the West, and it wasn't a particularly popular or, or famous piece of work within the Arab world. It was very much the kind of thing you listen to in coffee houses, but the European translation of it into French catapulted it to fame and it was kind of reluctantly accepted in the Arab world as a work of literature. The problem with the, with, 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 Gala, with, with the original is, of course, it's not written in what we call standard Arabic. Unlike the Qur'an and high literature, it's in some sort of intermediate um, uh, variety, which is not totally the same as ordinary speech, but it's not really high literature either. So that was one of the reasons, gives you a clue as to the kind of politics of translation into the Arab world already, as to what kinds of things people tend to think of as worth translating. Galon is, a thousand one, Elf Leila Walayla, I think to give it its Arabic title, is, because it, be, you know, it got adopted by Europe, it must be great literature, okay, we'll adopt it, but we don't really think it's all that, you know. So... Uh, and then uh, behind that, the next thing that would come is modern translations um, of Arabic literature written really in the 20th century, of which there are huge amounts now. I mean, this started in the 1960s with a guy called Dennis Johnson Davis who pioneered the translation of modern Arabic fiction. Um, it was kind of given a huge fillip in 1988 when Naguib Mahfouz, who some of you may have heard of, a famous Egyptian novelist now dead, uh, received the Nobel Prize for Literature, the first Arab to be honest, in that way. Immediately, the whole of his oeuvre, and, and there's a huge amount of it, he probably wrote more than 40 novels, as translated into to English. A lot of it had been translated, but everything is now available, even in, in rather uh, mediocre translations where we get uh, 1920s Egyptians talking to each other and using terms like, hey, buster, <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> you, d- you dumbo. You know, I, I mean, I'm not saying the translations are great, but... One of the things that, uh, that happened was that, that, that so, so, suddenly modern Arabic literature acquired a, a high profile, which it had hitherto lacked. But there's still not a, a, a great deal of that. I mean, the first two we talked about, really, in terms of, of how many people read them, um, far, far outdo any of, the, uh, any of the modern stuff, I would say. At the bottom end of the spectrum, there is a huge thing. I mean, you might say it's the elephant in the room which is what I call popular literature. Now, every Arab country has popular literature, and you don't have to be a professional poet or a professional anything to do it. You can be everything from a doorman to a a supermarket owner, and I've recorded poets that come in both these categories. Um, The oddity about this kind of poetry is it is composed in a register of the language which is not regarded as, um, as, as, as worthy of having art, art performed in it. The, audit, the, the, the kind of conundrum is that high art in Arabic is composed in a register of the language nobody speaks. Popular literature is composed in a language everybody speaks but nobody rega- regards as art. Or at least, let's say, the, the artistic establishment doesn't regard it as art. However, um, 
you know, in terms of its cultural and social importance, um, you know, popular literature, in particular poetry, which has been the number one verbal art among the Arabs for 1,500 years, is really very important. And it's used these days often as a way of commentating on political and social events. Um, it, you know, this kind of poetry is not the kind of thing that, people, that, that is written for people who are going to sit in a room on their own reading it. It's performance poetry, which speaks on behalf of a group or a community in which there's an audience, usually. Um, and um, that's really what I want to talk about. Um, what sorts of things get talked about in this poetry and what sorts of translation problems they um, present to the translator. Um, perhaps at this point, I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to see if I can, uh, somebody can operate for me the... Um, Oh, I can operate it myself, I don't know. Um, get the, um, the, the, the YouTube thing. Let's see whether we can actually hear. What I'm going to, what I'm going to um, um, present to you, uh, if you could just get it up and put it on pause. And then I'll it's, 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 you've got to go on um, YouTube and then put in, yeah, and then put in the, in the search. Oh, is it there? It's there already, oh, I think, actually. Sorry. Yeah, okay, there he is. This is, this is a man called Abbas... It's okay, don't start it yet. Abbas Chichan, he is an Iraqi, born 1952, um, and um, he uh, commentates essentially on, on the uh, events of the day. Um, this particular poem, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll, if you don't mind, I'll read you because it saves time. I've actually already written an article about this, just to give you the kind of um, the basis of it. The poem is cast in the form of an open letter to, quote, His Eminence the American President Obama, in which the poet first politely congratulates the President on his election victory, this is done in 2009, and wishes him well. Then, after flattering comments on his resemblance to figures in Arab history, real and legendary, the poet moves on to the meat of his open letter, the activities of present and previous American administrations in Iraq. The poet, as it were, in a cosy chat, he uses the word sawalif, with a new president, lists the catastrophes that occurred under his predecessor. The federalisation of Iraq, the degrading treatment of Iraqi prisoners by the US military in Abu Ghraib prison, the shooting of unarmed Iraqi civilians by the Blackwater Security Company, the millions of widows, orphans and refugees which the invasion created, and what the poet dismisses as the framing of Iraq for the events of 9-11. The backdrop to all this is Western ignorance of the importance of Iraq in the history of human civilization, and indeed the Abrahamic religions, sadly let down by the impotence of the Arabs to do anything about the events the poet describes, and encapsulated in his plaintive rhetorical question, which we'll come to later on, as to where the famous military commanders of the Islamic conquests who might have saved Iraq have gone, as well as the legendary Abu Zaid al-Hilali. The poem ends with a rather cryptic simile for the political history of his homeland. We Iraqis, he says, behave like female pop music fans, uh, a female pop music fan who goes mad for the latest pop idol, abandoning one favourite after another when the next big thing comes along. For us Iraqis, he seems to be saying, the grass is always greener on the other side. And the modified proverb that expresses this sentiment stands as a metaphor for the fatal susceptibility of Iraqis to swallow whatever seductive nonsense successive Iraqi leaders have pushed in front of them. So it's a very complicated poem. It tells a story. It tells a story of the invasion of Iraq. 
it gives a background of what the poet thinks Iraq is, and by implication, what the outside world doesn't know about Iraq, and then it moves to a kind of reflective phase in which um, he basically is looking at the psyche of Iraqis and saying, well, you know, plus ça change. So, this was performed on a Saudi TV channel, Al Arabiya, and in a program called Art, which means Illuminations, it's a sort of arts program. And uh, he, 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 he uh, recited the poem, and this is the first performance, as far as I recall, and it was done on it. So, could we just hear, it's six minutes, we don't want to play all of it, but I want you to see, if not hear, what it looks like in performance. Get the beginning. Ready, go. Okay, you get the idea. I mean, it's, 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 it's very much a kind of acted poetry, if you like. Um, and what I'd like to do now, I mean, I, you've got the text. I mean, I don't propose for a minute to go through, certainly not the Arabic, and the, the, the English is quite long. But what, what I want to do, when I, when I translated this poem, um, you, you do a kind of a sort of self-analysis of the process that you go through. And that's really what I want to talk about a little bit. The kinds of issues that, that arise when you're dealing with this kind of material and how you, you deal with them. So um, th what, what, what you've got uh, on the second handout is a, um, a, a, a four uh, extracts I've picked out, which I'm going to talk about in a, in, in a moment. But I just want to make some summarising remarks about the sorts of issues that arise. Firstly, the formal side of, of, of this poetry. I don't know whether you noticed, but it rhymes. I mean, and it rhymes. The particular theme rhyme is Arma, Obama. And guess who comes up? Osama. And even Guantanamo. Guantanamo. Okay. So there's, a, there's, a, there's a, quite a lot of fiddling around with the language to make it fit this particular pattern. Arabic is full of verbal nouns which, with things like karama, dignity, shihama, decency, which uh, he feels the Americans offended against. So, you know, it's a very clever choice of rhyme scheme. Um, also, it scans. I mean, uh, I'm not going to go into detail about the, 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 the sort of technical side of this, but you could see there was a kind of a, a rhythmic, if you like, delivery of, of, of the poem. So, um, if you're going to achieve for a translate, uh, for, 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 for an English audience, any kind of uh, impression of the acoustic impact of the original, uh, it seems to me you cannot simply translate this literally. It loses half of its force. It basically depends on this... Um, uh, this rhyme and, and the, 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 the way in which the, 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 the listeners are kept in, in suspense waiting for the next armour. 
And, and really, it's a fantastic... Uh, I mean, if you, if you go through it, there are probably 50 rhymes in armour, more or less, um, which is pretty good even for Arabic. But one's waiting for the next one, as it were. And you can't, you can't ignore that in um, a translation. Secondly, I think there's the issue of diction and text type. This was a poem which is cast in the form of a poem. And some of the language at the beginning of it echoes the language of letter writing in Arabic. It's an open letter. He's just come back from a trip to the Middle East in 2009. I think this was, this was just after he was elected. First visit to Saudi Arabia and Egypt. And um, the opening part is, it's a letter. Okay? Um, so that's, an, again, an important aspect of, of what one has to translate. Also, he uses many words like hechi and solif, which are to do with chatting. The thing appears, although it's a letter, it's kind of a, a, across the garden fence, me and you sorting out what's wrong with the Arab world. And he goes through, if you look at the translation, you'll see he goes through, there's a great long list of things, Palestine, Iraq, blah, blah, 9-11. Um, so, again, the tone of the translation needs to reflect the tone of the Arabic. Um, also, there are any number of cultural references, um, as there are, I suppose, in, 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 going to be in any kind of, of, uh, of, of, uh, of poem. Or, or, well, certainly in, in Arabic ones, um, the, the degree of distance, if you like, between perhaps the culture of a reader in English and the, the culture of, a, of an Arabic reader um, is going to be quite large. And uh, th- there are lots of... Um, religious symbols in this, historical references, um, and at the end we'll get to see a lot of um, allusions to contemporary popular culture within the Arab world. Um, And we also get a manipulated proverb at the very end which actually encapsulates the whole point of the poem. I mean, you have to, first of all, spot the the fact that these things are there, which is no mean feat, because, um, as Muhammad Saleh said, the kind of the, the, this kind of um, poetry exists in every country, and every country has its own particular set of local um, reference points. So, um, again, somehow this has got to be got across. Um, we'll talk about the, the, the detail of how... It can be got across in a minute. But, but those are the, 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 the three things which, you know, when I analyse the process I go through when I translate this kind of stuff, is, is the formal aspect of how you get across what it sounds like, um, the diction and text type, and also um, the various types of cultural reference, which will be I- I- incomprehensible um, to if they're translated li- li- literally, and we'll show ways in which you can get around this um, when translating. Um, uh, I, I hasten to, to, to add before we, we start, no literary uh, merit, whatever is claimed for the translation. Um, and as I think was uh, adumbrated in the previous uh, speech, I mean, you, 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 could, you could really have 20, 30, any number of different translations for this. Um, and, and uh, you, you know, you'd have a, a job deciding on what the criteria were for deciding which one was best. I mean, this does then come down to what you look for in, in a translation, what sorts of issues... Are, um, uh, are important. Um, if we go to the uh, sheet with the yellow um, highlighting on, I just picked out four um, extracts. So on the left-hand side, at the begin, towards the beginning of the poem, 
Um, here the poet is talking about the Iraqis. As you probably know, there are two rivers that run through Iraq, the, the uh, Tigris and the Euphrates. And um, Arafidin, the two rivers they're called. And the, the, the Iraqis uh, often refer to themselves to the people of the two rivers, Mesopotamia, if you like. So the, the, original, um, the, 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 the original reads in literal translation, Mr. President Obama, we are the people of the two rivers. We were one nation which wore the emblem of civilization on its chest. They've divided us, split us up, federalized us. Each of us has become sheikh-like with his friends and paternal un uncles. The version I came up with was, President Obama, the two rivers are our home, a nation proudly civilised before the Greeks or Rome. But now we've been divided, split in pieces, federalised, each tin pot shakes a ruler, each one polishes, polishes his prize. Um, the point really is, I mean, there is nothing whatever in the original about the Greeks and Rome. But the point that, that the poet is trying to get across there, and a thing that repeatedly crops up within the poem, is the fact that Iraq is the the home of civilization. It was where agriculture was invented. Um, it was where, where the wheel was invented, so they say. Um, and this is a fact which the poet is in, intensely conscious of, and without ramming it down the, 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 the listener's throat, I mean, he, he is implying that um, there is a difference between Iraq and modern states like the US and the, the uh, countries with which they, they were allied in terms of their civilizational depth. And we also, it comes up again later on in the poem, I haven't picked this out, when he, he talks about the people who he says are sleeping in the territory, who are buried. And we get a great long list of um, prophets who are shared between Christianity, deliberate choice. Um, he says, Ibrahim, which is, or as they say, you, they say in your language, Abraham, Obrahama, Hama to write. You know, he twists the words again to get this Osama, Obama. Uh, uh, Ryan in um, and the second bit of that one I've, I've highlighted is just to show I mean what, what would it mean to an English reader each of us has become sheikh like with his friends and paternal uncles what does that mean well I mean paternal uncles are extremely important in the familial structure in, in, I mean the, 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 that's where um, the power lies if you like um, that's who you take pride in, your particular group of people, especially the, the brothers, if you like, of your father. Um, and it's as if the place has been taken over by a, a whole set of little gangs of people who are, as it were, beating themselves up. That's the idea. And that is the, um, what lies behind the, 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 the translation and its relative distance, if you like, from what it looks like, literally. Um, the second one, here he's talking about the, the effects of the American attack on Iraq. Literally, the results were very cruel. Whoever saw them wrapped a turban round his head because of them. Meaningless to an English reader. Wrapping a turban round your head is adopting a religious persona, adopting the morals and outlook of a religious person who, by definition is a serious operator, somebody who thinks deeply about what's going on. So the wrapping of the turban is that people who were, the, the sense of it is people who, who, who are not, were not used to thinking deep thoughts, thinking in any serious kind of fashion, were so shocked by what happened that they were converted, if you like, into people who would uh, 
make this, as it were, symbolic act. Um, so, I mean, how do you do that? Almost impo- who, who saw it put a turban on? His thoughts became profound. I mean, that's the implication that lies behind the, the Arabic there. But um, it has to be externalised, made explicit, if you like. Um, the third one is where he is uh, talking about the general state of the Arab world um, and says, what else can I talk to you about, Mr. President? This is the chatty kind of side of it, Obama. About the Palestinian horror, it hasn't been solved. It's raging in Gaza. This is a reference to the Iraqi attack on Gaza which in uh, December, I think it was 2007. They don't give any rights, the children of Sarah. Who are they? The Jews. They have taken Jerusalem. Their goal is the Tihama. Where is that? Well, it's actually a distant part of South Yemen. And it's only in there because it ends in Amma. <laughs> okay? Where's Khalid? Where's Tariq? Where's Uqba? Where is Abu Zaid? Who are these people? Well, an English person wouldn't know. These are the original, the names, he uh, doesn't give the full names, obviously. They're the names of the Islamic commanders that that took the banner of Islam around the world in the late 7th, early 8th century. Everybody knows who they are in the Arab world. But the final one is Abu Zayd al-Hilali, who's actually not a, not a real man, a real figure at all. He is the hero of a, uh, um, a uh, what's called a sira, which is a, um, a story about the Bani Hilal, who were a tribe who migrated across from Arabia into North Africa in the 10th, 11th century, about whom there is a great lot of folk literature, if you like. And Abu Zayd al-Hilali is the legendary hero of this um, movement of population. Whichever. So, you know, he, he is kind of... Um, um, it, it, it's kind of almost a slightly tongue-in-cheek thing. The first three are real. The final one isn't. I mean, he's almost saying, you know, what we were asking for was a, a virtual impossibility, you know, uh, perhaps this is something that Abu Zayd al-Hilali could have, could have helped with, but Abu Zayd al-Hilali never existed. Um, and why has he not drawn his sword? So, um, what one can one do with that? Um, not a lot. Where is Khalid? Where is Tariq? Where is Uqba? Old warlords. That simply defines what they are um, in, in a way which meets the uh, constraints of the formal structure I adopted in the translation. It, it had to rhyme. And where is Abu Zayd al-Hilali? Why is he not unsheathed his sword? Which is a pretty literal translation of the last um, line. But um, the, the fact I start with where, you know, where I started, that is the formal constraints. If you're going to do this kind of translation and make it sound anything like the original, then uh, um, you know, things like rhyme are a prerequisite. And that does limit um, uh, what you can, um, how you can translate, if you like. And the final one is the very conclusion of the poem, where he's really reflecting on the general state of Iraq and what Iraqis generally do. So it says at the end, and it's all pretty cryptic if you, if you don't know the language, the conclusion of his poem, if you don't mind, is just deciding who's to blame. We are like a female pop fan who likes singers. Every singer she sees, she gets his number and stores it in her phone. It's a mobile phone we're talking here. But in the end, she doesn't get her little hubby back. And nor does she get Raghib Alama. I can see a smile on the face of the Syrian sitting in front of me. She knows who Raghib Alama is, probably nobody else does. Raghib Alama is a very famous Lebanese pop singer. Okay. But what does it mean? Well, 
Let's just look at the translation. In conclusion, Mr. President, if you let me lay the blame, Iraq's just like a pop fan who's obsessed with stars and fame. Each singing star that comes her way, his number's in her phone. But one, one, one by one they dump her, she's rejected. Home alone. The point about it is that the final... Um, the, 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 what he's saying really is that, like I said at the beginning, the grass is always greener on the other side in Iraqi politics. Iraqis always seem to want the next big thing. But in the end, it all comes, comes, it all ends in tears, as they say. And the way he puts this at the end is that um, the reference to her little hobby actually is, is, a, is a well-known Iraqi proverb. The original was um, uh, that uh, she, 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 didn't get, she didn't get a hobby and she didn't get Sayyid Ali, which is what people say. And this, the story is that a woman... Um, Tried to uh, was lured away from her husband by a cleric called Said Ali, um, and um, she ditched her husband to run off with Said Ali, and then Said Ali promptly ditched her. So what did she do in that circumstance? She was a woman unprotected. She went back to her husband and said, "Will you have me back?" He said, "No way." Huh? And he went. She went back to her family. Would they have her back? No way. So she ends up getting nothing. She gets neither her little hobby, nor does she get Raghib Alama, that, instead of Said Ali, that's the cleric, nor does she get a famous Lebanese pop singer. She gets nothing. So, uh, I mean, that, that is, is obviously totally uh, impenetrable to, to, uh, to a non-Arab, well, probably, probably even a non, non-Iraqi audience. And, and that's why, I mean, I, I, I've uh, gone for, uh, she's left one by one. She loses all the, all the, the boyfriends. Um, she um, that, that that she has, you know. As, as we have the image of a of, of a girl, you know, who's switching really between pop singers, and uh, finally ends up with nothing. And we all understand Home Alone. It's a reference to a well-known movie or series of movies, actually, which uh, about ten years ago. So that's it. I mean, this is all rather rather all rather rushed and and like li- li- sort of off the top of my head, but. Um, I, you know, tried to give you some idea, at least, of the sorts of issues that uh, one faces when tr- trying to translate this kind of poetry. I, I would finish by saying, I mean, um, th- this is a, an extremely big um, tradition in the Arab world. One of the most popular programs, television programs in the Gulf at the moment, now in its fifth, sixth season, is called Sha'ar al-Million, which is, means poet of the million, or could mean poet in a million. You, you could you'd read it both ways. Um, on Abu Dhabi satellite television. And um, in this programme, poets aged between 18 and 45 perform poets in front of a, studio, a, a theatre of audience of a couple of thousand and a, and, a, and a judging panel. It's strictly come dancing for poetry. Fantastically popular. Uh, and the, 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 a tradition which was dying on its feet 30, 40 years ago has basically been revivified in order to, um, partly to give some sort of... Um, recognition of a, of a tradition which was looked as if it was being lost and which has become a symbol really of a past which I think many Arabs in the Gulf region at least thought was on the way out and somehow it's a way of clinging on to if you like a, 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 a symbol of a, a simpler and um, you know less globalised world which has um, uh, you know, seems to have uh, be passing. I mean, the, the, the poem I'm, 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 I've presented to you is really part of that sort of poetry, if you like. 
Um, okay, thank you very much.